Well, this Tuesday, there's a group of us going to go to India, believe it or not. I went last year where Kaholi and family uh, are, uh, and Kashi and family are from in India. Vito, if you know Vito, listen, that's where Vito's over there right now, and we're going to hang out with him for about a week. I'm going to be teaching in a college there, and Robert's also going to be helping te- uh, teach there. Now, I, I, I want to be sitting. Now, if Robert's teaching and I pop in, I'm not going to be in there the first day, Robert, until you get kind of loose and get kind of a. Uh, but on the second day, I'm going to pop in there, and I won't be looking at Robert. I'll be looking at the people out there when Robert says, We're going to a far down there and watch those people do this, okay? To un- un- so, uh, but anyway, we're, we're going to in- India uh, uh, this uh, uh, next, next week, and so uh, be in, in prayer for us. Um, when I was in the late 80s, I went to a school called Columbia Bible College at the time. It's now, I graduate and they name it a fancy name, Columbia International University. And uh, right there it sounded like a glorified Sunday school when I went to it. Uh, but it's a very difficult school. But one thing I loved about Columbia, even though I've been raised in a Southern Baptist church, Columbia was an interdenominational Bible college. And you know, the first few days that uh, uh, first few weeks I was there, you know, I'd go around there and say, so, so what are you, Presbyterian, Methodist, something like that. But, you know, after about six weeks, you didn't care anymore. The labels dropped. You know, when I went to, um, and by the way, there will be no labels in heaven. Amen. The only label that counts when you get to heaven is if you've been born again. Because Jesus said, unless you're born again, you're not going to enter into heaven. He didn't ask whether we're Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, uh, Presbyterian, or whatever. It's whether we've been born again or not. Jesus said that from his very mouth. He said, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So you better understand what it means to be born again. Okay? So anyway, I was uh, on one of my other mission trips. I, I've been overseas about 20 times and taught pastor's conferences and at seminaries and at colleges. I love doing that. I want to retire and do that all the time. But one of the craziest mission trips I ever went on was into Nicaragua and I went on an island off of Nicaragua, about 100 miles off the coast. It was a small island, but this little small island had like 30 different churches on it. And there was Lutheran, there was Catholic, there was Moravian, there was Baptist, you name it, all different flavors. And so they all came to this conference. You know, it's not a lot going on a little island out in the middle of the ocean, right? So they came to this conference, and I told them this. I recognize that a lot of you are from different denominations. And, uh, you know... There are different levels of doctrines. There's what I call first-tier doctrines, the most important. Then there's second- and third-tier doctrines. On the first-tier doctrines, we've got to agree on. Second-tier, third-tier, we can have room for debate, and when we get to heaven, we'll straighten all that out. But here's what I've told them, first-tier doctrines. If you can agree with these three things, then we can have good fellowship this week, and you'll enjoy what I'm teaching. All right, number one, first-tier doctrine, you cannot negotiate over, over this, is that God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? The second tier, I mean, this not second tier, but the second of the cardinal doctrines is, is, is this, is that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It doesn't have any errors. It was, even though God used the agency of men, he, the Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. 
which means He superintended it. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the Word of God is perfect. Okay? And so obviously we have translations, and there's little differences in translation, but as far as any major doctrine, major thing, 98% of it agree with one another. And the others are not errors. It's just difference in manuscripts and stuff like that, the original manuscripts. Not so much for that. Okay? But here's the third thing that I tell them. I don't care what your label is, but the third thing that is absolutely essential is that you believe that salvation is by grace alone. You don't earn it. It is by faith alone. It's not faith in Jesus and faith in something else. And it's in Christ alone. Amen. All right, now if you can agree with those three things, we're cool, right? That's what I told them. What I'm going to talk about this morning is what's going to happen in just a moment when we baptize Michelle. I'm going to talk about what I call a second-tier doctrine. It's not third-tier. You don't have to agree with, with me on this. But in my most humble and highly accurate opinion, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm going to share what I believe this, this morning about baptism. So I hope you understand I come from a non-denominational background. Most of my friends at my school uh, that I was close to weren't even Baptists. They were pre evangelical Presbyterians, and we had a Methodist friend, had a Lutheran guy, you know, and, so, and several Pentecostal friends, and so... Uh, my, my purpose here this morning is not to stir the pot. My purpose here this morning is kind of like a, a lawyer to kind of lay out the case, and then you're the jury, right? And your, your standard is not what you think. Now, this is so important. Your standard is not what you think. It's what this book says. Amen. Your standard is not your past experience. It's what this book says. Your standard is not your church's tradition or Baptist church tradition. Your standard is this book, okay? So that's what I want to present this morning. Since Michelle's being baptized, I think this would be good for her and for all of us to go over uh, this subject. Let's see here. There we go. Clearing up the confusion about baptism. Now, when you hit a subject like this, this is one of those second-tier doctrines, there's a lot of confusion about this. There's even a lot of disagreement about this. Listen, among born-again, evangelical, Jesus-loving Christians, there's some debate about that, okay? So uh, what I want to do is to clear up the confusion about baptism. You know how you do that? You stick with this. That's how you clear up the confusion. The reason there's so much confusion is because people, like I said, go by their experience, go by their church's particular tradition, go by church tradition, go by how they feel about it instead of this book. God gave us a manual. Here it is. Let's do what he says to do. And if we'll do that, you know what? It would clear up the confusion about baptism. Now, here's what I'm going to talk about this morning. We're going to ask some questions. Number one, what is the purpose of baptism according to the Bible? Who should be baptized according to the Bible? What it says. When should a person be baptized according to the Bible? And how should a person be baptized according to the Bible? And then, why should a person be baptized? So we'll be covering those subjects here this morning. Now, first of all, I want to talk about what is the purpose of baptism. Some view, uh, view it as an act of salvation. That when you are being 
submersed in the water, or immersed, rather. <laughs> submersed means you put them down there and keep them under. Immersed means you put them, bring them back up. Okay. When we immerse someone in that water, that somehow those waters are like magical waters, and they save us. That very act save us. And they'll pull out verses like, like this. Uh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, inside of your bulletin, if you've got one of those, is all the verses that I'm going to use this morning. So, so get those out if you would, if you've got one of those, and uh, read these verses. Y'all get one of those? Okay. Uh, just so you can see it, so you'll know that I'm speaking from Scripture. All right. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Here's what they'll say. Well, here it tells you baptism saves you. It says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So it's like, well, there you go. You've got to believe and you've got to be baptized in order to be saved. But look at this next qualifying statement. It's a qualifier. But he that believeth not shall be damned. What damns you? What damns you is you not put your trust and faith in Christ alone for salvation. That's what damns you. All right? But I believe if you're truly saved, you'll want to get baptized. All right? So, next verse they'll use there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for, and here's what the uh, original language of the New Testament means, as a result of or on the basis of the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so here's, here's what people misinterpret it. Says. They say, well, right there it says repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. Well, think about this. When I pointed out that word for, for the forgiveness of sins, that word for there is again a qualifier. It means as a result of or on the basis of. Let me give you an example. Let's just say this, that I were to trip, which is possible, and fall flat on my face, bust my nose, blood coming out like that, and I get to the hospital, and I'm on my way to the hospital, and so I call somebody, say, I'm on my way to the hospital, for I fell in the worship service, okay? As a re I'm going to the hospital as a result of me falling in the worship service. And so he says, he says right here, repent and let each of you be baptized. Why? As a result of you being forgiven of your sins. All righty. Now the next thing, some people see it as an act of separation. Now I had to do a little study on this because this is, you know, this is not my uh, understanding too much, but I know that there are a lot of people who believe this. Usually denominations that... Uh, baptized infants uh, believe this. Um, I'm, I'm doing some quotes because I want to represent that view accurately, okay? Uh, one said, we view baptism as an act of separation. And we are therefore putting those children into a position where they eventually come to know Jesus by act of the fact they have been baptized. Now, I'm just quoting, okay? Here's another quote I found. Churches that baptize infants argue that something so critical should not be withheld from babies. And then it names a denomination. I'm not going to name it. 
for instance, teaches that not baptizing a child shortly after birth would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God. In the same section, they teach that children also need to have the new birth in baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God. The hope is, of course, that the child will eventually come to faith in Jesus Christ, but in the meantime, they are communicating the belief that baptism alone is enough to make the infant a child of God who is, quote, one of their catechisms, freed from the power of darkness. All right? So some view it that way. Okay? Now... My understanding of Scripture is this. It's not an act of salvation. It's not an act where you take a little baby and you pour water on it and say, original sin has been cleansed, you're cool, until you come to make a decision when you go through a class when you get about 12 years old. Uh, Here's the way that I understand it, and here's the way that not just Baptists understand it, a lot more people than Baptists understand it this way. A lot of Bible churches, evangelical churches, uh, you name it. Some view it as an act of symbolism. What does it symbolize? Well, number one, it symbolizes Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The believer is identified with Christ's victory over sin. So so it symbolizes when we immerse the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It also symbolizes, it's merely a symbol of how When you get saved, you have died to the old person. You are now a new person. When Michelle came here, that was the old Michelle, okay? When she got saved a few weeks ago, she already has been raised to be a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so it is simply a symbol. You know, when Jesus said, I am the door, was he talking about a literal door? No, he was saying, that is a symbol of the fact that I'm the only door to heaven. When, when, when he said, I am the light of the world, did he emanate light? I mean, not in his earthly body. He did not. He's just saying, I am a symbol of spiritual light. And when the Bible says that baptism, that we are buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a new life, that symbolizes what has already happened in our heart. Amen. What we do today with, with Michelle, by the way, I'm going to be mentioning your name a lot in this sermon, okay, because you're the... Person's going. What we do today is we are not saving Michelle by this. We are saying this has already happened to Michelle. She's died with Christ. She's been uh, raised to walk with Christ. She is portraying kind of like a drama that Jesus died for her sins and rose again. That is my understanding of what the Scripture says. And it also says one day, guess what? One day... My, you know, my dad, my dad is in the grave right now. His body's in the grave. But the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so my dad's spirit is in heaven. His body is in Roswell, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. But the Bible says one day that that body will rise from the grave and be reunited with his spirit. And that's what baptism also pictures. I heard someone say this, and I like it. Very important. Jesus is the doorway into heaven. And baptism is the doorway into the local visible church. 
Okay, now, next question. <clears throat> who should, well, I didn't know I had those up there. There you got it. All right, number two. Who should be baptized? All of these are big questions. But remember, they're second tier. But I want to be like a lawyer. I want to prove my case and see if you buy into, is Brother Jeff preaching the Bible? That's what you need to ask. All right? Because uh, it's the only book God ever wrote, by the way. Only book God ever wrote, and he gave us instructions for our life and for how to do baptism in the church, everything. Right here. All right. Who should be baptized? Should infants be baptized? Should only adults be baptized? Should we wait until someone is 18 years of age and older to baptize them? When should, uh, who should be baptized? Well, it's so clear in Scripture. Look at Acts 2.41. This is the birth of the New Testament church. And look what it says. So then those who had received his word, that is, they got saved, they heard the gospel and said, I agree with that, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So here were people who heard the Apostle Paul preach the gospel that Jesus died for sins, rose again, and he's the only way to heaven. And they said, yes, we agree with that. They invited Christ in their heart. And then the Bible says, then they went to get baptized and they were added to the church. They're not added into this cosmic body floating around. They were added to a local church, the church in Jerusalem. So... Uh, Let's ask a question. What about infant baptism? I mean, why, I mean, again, good godly people do this. Some churches that will claim they believe the Word of God do this. One of my favorite theologians and scholars I listened to was R.C. Sproul. He was a Presbyterian. Loved his teaching. Still loved, listen to it all the time. But he believed in infant baptism. Okay. What about infant baptism? Why, why do we believe that, the, not just we, but many evangelicals believe about infant baptism? Well, number one, there is no clear reference in the Scripture of an infant baptism. You can't find an infant baptism. If you would show it to me, then I might be able to say, well, yeah difference of opinion there. If you would show me this in the Bible that there's any reference to infant baptism, you wouldn't find it. Now here's what a lot of people say. Well, there was circumcision in the Old Testament and so, you know, baptism is kind of like circumcision in, in the New Testament and so as soon as the child is born, just like you do physical circumcision, you need to spiritually circumcise the child when they're born. Sounds like a good argument. The only problem is this. Who did they circumcise? Only boys. Right? And so that illustration does not, no pun intended, hold water. <laughs> okay, all right. And I know there's some that may disagree with that. But another big reason is because little babies do not have the ability to consciously know what's going on or place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so again, the Bible says... Those who received his word were baptized. They're not old enough to receive the word yet. I like what Adrian Rogers said this. You know, I believe that uh, every child that is not old enough to understand the gospel, 
They're not saved, but they're safe. I believe when Jesus died on the cross, what happened there? That flicked on my own. Or, Gail, did you hit the button? <laughs> okay, she hit the button. I was like, what happened to that? Anyway, they're not old enough to do what they just did to get into the church. They heard the message. They received the message. They were saved. Children who are not old enough to know intellectually or people who are mentally handicapped who are not able to mentally understand the gospel, I believe when Jesus died on the cross, He covered their sin. But I believe that once a child gets old enough and he understands the gospel, then they're accountable for their sin. So there's no clear reference in the Bible about that. But here's another thing that's just really important. It gives people a false sense of assurance. They feel like, well, I was baptized as a kid. I'm going to heaven. had a friend of mine. His name was Trey. I had two really close friends growing up. I mean, we were like the three amigos, okay? I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I immediately went and I talked to my best of those two friends, Curtis, and I shared the gospel with him. I told him, man, Curtis, you need to be saved. Now, he was lost, and he knew he was lost. And I witnessed to him and tried to share Christ with him. To this day, I don't think he's come to Christ. But he was under conviction. Never made a decision for Christ. But my friend Trey, I went to him and he was a member of another denomination. And I said, Trey, you got to get saved. you got to get saved. you got to give your heart to Jesus. Find him in your heart like that. And he said, I'm okay. I was baptized when I was a little baby. You see? Then, about 20 years ago, Trey got married. He asked me to do his wedding. And here's what I said. I said to him, now, Trey, uh, I started sharing the gospel with him about being saved. And here's what he said. I'm okay. I was baptized when I was a little baby. So you see there, it gives people a false sense of assurance. All right, now here's the next thing. When should a person be baptized? Okay, when should a person be baptized? Well, let's look in Acts chapter 12, verse 13. And I'm going to go a little bit faster, so don't worry. Don't think, my goodness, he's only on the fourth verse. Okay, here's what it says. Acts chapter 12, verse 12 through 13. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news and about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike, and even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and he observed signs and great wonders, miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. So here's the scriptural pattern. You hear the message, you get saved. After you get saved, you're baptized. And so that's why we refer to it as believer's baptism. That's what the Bible teaches. Believers, you get saved. Baptism. Now, it's amazing how kids can get saved at different ages where they understand the gospel. When my son was little, especially when he was about three or four, he would come up to the altar a lot of times and pray and say, Daddy, I'm going to get saved. I want to get saved. And I said, Jay, I said, let's just wait. Let's pray about it. And God will tell you when it's his time for you to get saved. And so we, I said, we'll just pray about that all the time. So we prayed, God, help Jay to know when it's his time to be saved, help him to hear from you. 
And once he gets saved, he's helping him never, ever, ever doubt his salvation. We prayed that. And so for about two years, you know, he didn't come down the aisle. Then around Christmas time in 2002, he was six years old. And I was preaching the message. And all of a sudden, I'm not expecting anything, he comes running down the aisle like this. He said, Daddy, it's time to be saved. <laughs> See, he heard the voice of God, not audibly in his heart. And so my son, at six years of age, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He will tell you this day, that's when he got saved. He has never doubted his salvation. And so you know what I did? He was six years old, very young, but I baptized him. Why? Because he believed in Jesus Christ. And then because he got saved, then he was eligible for baptism. Okay. Now for me, I didn't understand until I was 10 years old. God didn't speak to my heart until I was 10 years old. My dad got saved. Listen to this. He was a Baptist deacon for 34 years. He was a Baptist churchman for 62 years. But when he was 72 years old, he realized that all along he had believed about Jesus. He always believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He always believed that the Bible is the Word of God. He even taught Sunday school. But my dad at 72 years of age called me up one Sunday morning. He said, Jeff, you're never going to believe what happened. Your dad gave his heart to Christ. It was always up here. It was never down here. And my dad, listen, you can believe about Jesus, but the Bible says you don't get saved until you put your trust in grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's what you have to believe. And so, anyway, that's when a person should be baptized. Different ages for different people. Now, here's the next thing. <laughs> How should a person be baptized? Y'all ready for this? Well, there's a lot of disagreement about that. Well, there's a few things it shouldn't be disagreed about. First of all, it needs to be done under the authority of a local church. Now, notice I didn't say it needs to be done in a local church. It needs to be done under the authority and authorization of a local church. Okay. Uh, for instance, um, you know, I baptized people. We had this beautiful lake at my last church. This guy grew up dirt poor. He became a multimillionaire. He renovated his little cabin he grew up in and made this lake that he owned, and it looked like a golf course, fountains and all that. And I'm like, ooh, we're going to do a baptism out there. We did two baptisms out there until I found out that there were some copperheads in there. And I said, well, we're going back to that, okay? But... Uh, just because we did it out there does not mean it was invalid, okay? It was still immersing them, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? But it needs to be done under the authority of a local church. You know, my son, when he got saved, just couldn't take one of his friends, share the gospel with him, and the friend gets saved, and, and my friend say, well, let's just go over to the local pool, and I'll baptize you. Uh, that, that, that is not what we understand Scripture to teach, all right, look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 47 again. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. It was a group of people. The King James says He added to the church daily those who were being saved. All right, let me read to you what one uh, professor uh, said, Dr. David Skinner. Now listen to this. The authority for baptism rests with the visible local church. Since the church administers baptism, two important points are to be made. First, 
An individual acting on his own authority cannot administer it. The church grants the pastor or some other person the authority to baptize. You know, I could, I could say when I was a uh, pastor, my youth pastor, if we had a youth get saved, I would ask my youth pastor to do the baptism. Okay? Um, now, here's what he said here. Second, the church must be baptized, must be satisfied with the baptism and not an individual. Sometimes people come up and say, well, I'm satisfied with my baptism. Well, it doesn't matter. If you want to become a member of this church, this is what we understand. Um, if you were not saved when you got baptized, then you need to be baptized by our church. We accept Assembly of God baptisms here. We accept any church that believes that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We'll accept their baptism if they believe in, in immersion. Okay. Now, here's the next thing. Boy, i got a cruise. Using, well, it needs to be under the authority of a local church, and then it needs to be under the scriptural method, as we understand it, of immersion. Let me read you a few uh, people who are great uh, theologians, inter, uh, very scholarly uh, people who uh, know the Greek New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Spiros Zodiatis said the word baptism in Scripture is the word baptizo. It means to dip, immerse, submerge for a religious purpose, to overwhelm and to saturate. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament words says baptisma, that's the noun, consists of the process of immersion, submersion, and emergence. Henry George Liddell and Robert Scott say this in their Greek lexicon. It means the word baptize is in its original language is baptizo. It means to dip or plunge under water. Karl Barth, the Greek word baptizo originally improperly described the process by which a man or an object is completely immersed in the water and then withdrawn from it again. Millard Erickson in his book, Christian Theology, now listen to this. Martin Luther, who the Lutheran church sprang from, and John Calvin, who the Presbyterian church uh, sprang from, believed immersion was the basic meaning of the term baptizo and the original form of baptism practice in the early church. Now, did you know the word baptizo was just a common word? It wasn't a spiritual word. For instance, if there was a woman out by a creek and she was taking her clothes and plunging, plunging them into the water and bringing them back up, that was a normal term for baptism back then in the Greek language. And so that's why we understand, let's just stick with what the Scripture says and let's baptize people like the Bible says to baptize people. The Bible, not the Baptist. The Bible. All right, now here's... Um, Another thing, real quick. We'll have a cruise. Uh, the Bible tells us clearly that Jesus was baptized by immersion. No doubt. The Bible tells us that the early church Christians were baptized by immersion. I've already shared some verses about that. Uh, now, um, let me... Uh, no, here's an example. Look at Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38. Look at, look at that, okay? Very important. Look at that. Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38. 
And this is Paul, uh, uh, Philip, a deacon, who was witnessing to a guy from Ethiopia. And the guy got saved. And it says, And they, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip, as well as the eunuch, he baptized him. Now, listen to what Dr. Skinner said. No man has a right to change that which God has clearly ordained. No matter how high his spiritual rank, and merely saying that sprinkling is baptism does not make it so. Because what is our tradition? What is our standard? It's the Bible, not our church tradition. All right. Now, number five, and we're going to wrap this up super, super quick. All right. I keep saying that, but we are. <laughs> All right. Why should a person be baptized? Because Jesus commanded it. Because it's a direct command uh, from the Lord. And I'll let you read the scripture in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, You're to go make disciples, get them saved, and then baptize them. Dr. Skinner went on to say, The first demonstration of a person's salvation, of his bowing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is submission to baptism. One who will not submit to baptism has not fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The New Testament demonstrates that baptism was a universal practice in the early churches. The New Testament knows nothing of church members who were not baptized. Further, the church is to be satisfied and not the person desiring membership in a particular Church, And that's why Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord if you won't do what I say? All right, now here's the next reason someone needs to be baptized. Because it clears the conscience. Had a pastor friend of mine who pastored church running about 200. Some men came to him and said, Pastor, let's start praying every Thursday that God would take this church and use it to reach northeast Georgia for Christ. Church running about 200. They started praying. People got saved left and right. That church eventually grew to 4,000 people. 4,000 people. Well, when they were about 2,000, God began to convict him. And here's kind of what God was saying to him. You know, again, not out loud, but in his heart. Larry, you were head of the youth group just as a volunteer. But later on, he understood just like my dad that it wasn't by good works or anything like that. Uh, Larry received Jesus Christ. Now, when he was younger, he was already baptized. And so Larry just got to call him the ministry. He's like, well, I, I don't want to get baptized. What do people think? You know, here's a preacher. So he just, he would put it off. And finally, God just, he said, it was like God just spoke to his heart and said, Larry, if you don't obey me in this area, I'm going to take my hand off of your ministry. And so one Sunday morning, Larry got up before his congregation of 2,000 and said, i got to confess something. I'm your pastor. I got baptized when I was a kid, but I didn't understand what I was doing. I, I mean, not, not an infant, but just as a kid. And, but I had not been saved yet, and I got baptized. And then Larry said, after that time, I got saved, but I've never been scripturally baptized because belief comes before baptism. And so Larry said, tonight I'm going to be baptized. 30 people 
showed up that night just to see him baptized. I bet they're thinking, boy, this is wild, a Baptist pastor getting baptized. No, it wasn't 30 people. A bunch of people showed up because guess what? After he was baptized, you know what? 30 people got saved that night because they saw him practice believer's baptism. And they realized they were lost. And they gave their heart to Jesus Christ. So here's the final thing, and then we're going to baptize, Michelle. All right. What is the purpose of baptism? The purpose of baptism is to give a visible picture of what has happened to the believer internally. That Christ died, we died. Who should be baptized? Only those who have personally trusted in Christ's finished work on the cross. Number three, when should a person be baptized? After one is saved. All baptisms before salvations are invalid. If, if you got saved at a later date after you were uh, 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 baptized as, as a four-year-old or ten-year-old, then your baptism didn't count. All that happened to you, you just got wet. All right, now here's, here's the reviewing is how should a person be baptized? Under the authority of a local church, by immersion, all other modes, sprinkling, pouring. Here's the key. Do not picture death, burial, and resurrection. Hey, when you're ba- it's like a funeral service. The person's already dead. You don't take dust and sprinkle on top of a grave to kill somebody. And you don't put water on somebody to save somebody. The person's already dead. And when Michelle received Christ as her Savior a few weeks ago, the old Michelle died with Christ. She's already raised to walk a new life. And we're going to symbolize that in this pool. Is I heard someone say, it's the liquid tomb. All right, now here's the last thing. Why should a person be baptized? Because it is commanded by Christ and it clears the conscience that you've been obedient to Jesus. Like Larry Wynn, that pastor. Would you bow your heads in prayer?